lads and lassies sure if it isn't that time of the week again the time of the week when you stick your headphones on and you grab the dog no matter how warm or cold it is and you get him or her and go come on the global gale podcast just dropped and you and me are going for a walk and for somewhere between the next 45 50 minutes maybe even an hour you never know how it's going to go you're going to have me in your ears you could be doing your bit of hoovering. You could be making the dinner for the kids early in the week. What do I know? Sure isn't it up to you when you listen to it. If this is the first time you're listening to the podcast, my name is Philip O'Connor. I am coming to you from my little studio in Stockholm, Sweden, where I've lived for the last 23 years. And I bring you a podcast every week. It's a community-based podcast. It only exists because we exist. The Irish all over the world. 70 million of us uh, can claim that connection to our green island. And every week I try to bring you the story of what I call an ordinary Irish person. But I always say that there's no such thing as an ordinary Irish person abroad. If you are new to the podcast... And hopefully there'll be lots of people in America listening to it this time because the guest that we're going to have on this week and you're going to hear his story very shortly. Uh, do subscribe to it, right? I have a thing called the Arrow Man in Stockholm feed and there you'll get this podcast. You'll get the Irish in Sweden podcast. You'll get a thing I do called Premier Swedes where I talk to Swedish lads who played in England's Premier League in football. And then there's a podcast called Arrow Man in Stockholm that turns up every now and again where I talk about politics and media and things as seen from Sweden. So you might get something to do with, you know, Sweden's NATO uh, application and this kind of thing or you know somebody might have written a book or you know there's a thing to do with hip-hop and gang crime coming up soon enough so if that's your thing subscribe if you can support me please do so on patreon <coughs> it's patreon.com forward slash man in stockholm right now i always say on social media and you'll find this podcast on instagram maybe you already found it on instagram what do i know um, that these podcasts will always be free, right? Because when I moved to Sweden in 1999, things didn't go according to plan in the very beginning, as they often don't for Irish people abroad. I didn't have a whole lot of savings. I came over here and everything didn't go all that great. So I don't ever want money to be a sort of a, a, a barrier to anybody taking part in anything to do with the community that I have here. And that could be to do with the GAA or anything else like that. So look, at if you can afford it, brilliant. If you can't, it's always going to be there. But that means that those of you who can afford it, if you're sitting on your balcony on the 30th floor in Dubai now and you're having a bit of real cocktail or something like that and you happen to have a five or a month over throw it in the pot lads because it helps keep the lights on and it helps me travel around and do podcasts like this one and bring them to you and as I say it's like it's both a pleasure and a privilege to bring you the stories of Irish people all over the world I hope you're keeping well here in the cold north of Europe uh, there's a little bit of a stretch in the evenings lads now I know you're sitting there on Bondi Beach and your speedo some of you go what is your man talking about it's only roast on here but those of us above in Europe who aren't that far from the Emerald Isle are struggling through the darkness of the winter particularly those of us who are a little bit further north and i'm often thinking of um, the lads and ladies who are above in a place called lulio which is up towards the, the arctic circle here in sweden and they're building data centers to bait the band up there and you jesus you'd wonder how to get through the winter at all over there but things are getting a little bit brighter and one of the conversations i'm hearing more and more lads is to do with st patrick's day and it comes up in the interview you're about to hear so it 
I think everybody wants to get, you know, back to work and that kind of thing. And they've deleted all the emails they're never going to read. And they've done all the jobs that they were putting off before Christmas that, you know, thoughts do turn to St. Patrick's Day. So if you are doing anything around the world for St. Patrick's Day, in particular, I know that in the Middle East and in places like Malaysia, I think they used to have a very big um, St. Patrick's Day ball there where you might get thousands of people. And indeed, on Facebook there, I got an invitation to the ball that's going to be held in Qatar, in Doha, where it was for the World Cup there recently. So if there's anything like that going on, and you want to get on and talk about it. If you're looking for musicians, right, you guys, I put the shout out here, sure. You never know who might show up. Now, on this week's episode, hopefully there's a lot of musicians listening. Uh, because I'm going to talk, or I have talked to Alan Gogarty. Alan is a mead man who's lived over in New York uh, for the guts of 20 years, right? And as you'll hear, he was doing gigs over there and it was going very, very well. Booked out the door, residencies left, right and centre in the tri-state area. And then on the 1st of December, he had a heart attack. Right. Took a long time because it's not one of those things where you just, you know, collapse in a heap and that kind of thing and you explain the whole thing to it. So obviously he's been off work on that. Now, the great news is that when we connected on Zoom uh, the other night to have this conversation, we turned the video on. He looks great, lads. He looks, you know, hale and hearty and everything else like that. He is, you know, trying to build his fitness up and that kind of thing. But, you know, certainly for, for men of a certain age, shall we say, and I'm in that category as well, but also for women of a certain age, it's worth thinking about your health because uh, Alan was one of those people who thought, I'm grand. I'll walk away. There was nothing wrong with him whatsoever. And even when the whole thing was happening, he didn't even realise what it was that was happening to him. So I always say at the end of these podcasts to look after yourself and to look after uh, everybody else as well if you can. And I think this is one of those th- th- things, especially at the start of the year, where we tend to think about fitness and we tend to think about diet and that kind of thing. But sometimes we kind of need to go a step further and maybe uh, take a visit to the GP. Not always easy if you live in a country where you don't speak the language or where they don't speak English and these things. It's worth doing because, you know, nobody wants a surprise like the one Alan got. As I say, a great musician and uh, we'll be finishing up with one of the tracks of his that I've just been listening to there on iTunes. A very, very talented fella altogether. But uh, last night, as it was, as I'm recording this, I hooked up with him, him in New York, me in Stockholm, and we had a little chat about what it's like to find yourself in the back of an ambulance with no idea what's going on and you're over there in New York. Alan, could you take me back uh, to the night that, uh, and, and just when you realised maybe that something wasn't quite right with the heart? Yeah, so it, it was the, the Friday morning. I got up uh, probably, I guess it was, you know, sometime between 10 and 11. Um, I was out a little bit late the night before, as one is, you know. Hmm. Um, and uh, I just uh, felt an awful pain in the back, you know, and I never really felt anything like this before. You know, I've, I've had pains before, of course, but this was, it was unusual. So uh, I took off, I took off my short, actually, you know, I was just sitting in the living room. And I took off my short and I went into the bedroom and lay on the floor because it's a hardwood floor, you know, mm. and I just started sweating. So I ended up in a, in a pool of my own sweat, you know, and at which time uh, my wife said to me, uh, you know, well, this, this isn't normal, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, you know, which is good because uh, there was a possibility there that she wasn't going to be speaking to me at all that morning due to uh, the night before. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there, my friend. We've all been all there. there you know. So at least, yeah, she, uh, she started speaking to me. So uh, I got her to run a bath and I said, well, let me see how I am after bath. And after bath, I was like, ah, there's something real off here. Mm. So uh, 911 was called and paramedics and ambulance and all the rest. 
came around and I was carted off to uh, the nearest uh, emergency facility, you know, nearest emergency room. Yeah. yeah. And they, yeah. they bring you in there. You were sort of still conscious. It wasn't this, you know, we have an idea from watching cartoons or from movies that, you you know, you just drop and you hit the floor when you have a heart attack and that. But that wasn't really the case with you, was it? No, no, that wasn't the case. Um, after I called uh, 911, uh, is it 911 in Sweden or is what's the emergency call? I think it's 112 here, but I think 911 yeah. works as well. I think they've they've a system now that no matter which of those three digit numbers you call, it works anywhere in the world now, you know? Ah, right, gotcha. Um yeah, the, as they as they as I was waiting for a response, you know, the the, the response here is very fast. They're, they're mm. very quick. You know, if you if you if you call an emergency, they they're on it, you know. Uh, by the time they got here, you know, they came in, they did a little bit of checking. Um, you know, and the guy asked me how I was. I was going, let's be honest, I feel fine now. I think I'm after, I'm after uh, over exaggerating the condition. Mm. And the guy he was looking, he said, uh, I think you might have done the right thing. He said, we're, we're, we're taking you away. Mm. I was like, all right. So again, and I was still feeling like this. I was like, oh man, you know, I'm after. Yeah. After causing a hullabaloo that I didn't need to cause at all, you know. Um, but yeah, so they, they got me into the ER and they, they started taking blood tests, and the blood tests uh, indicated that I was having some sort of a cardiac uh, moment or mm -hmm. episode. Yeah. Um, so, so that that yes, yeah, so that, that being said, it, it's kind of. Um, I suppose it's a message for everybody else. If there, if you do feel that there's something happening, if if I had to ignore that, yeah. and I didn't get it looked at, uh, we would not be speaking. You know, it's that simple, because isn't it, it? It's it's as simple as that. Because they uh, they kept me in the ER overnight, and then early the next morning, I was moved into the cardiac unit. They they, they were uh, taking blood samples intermittently. You know, hmm. um. So I, I I think I read in the report it was about eight eight a.m. It's eight o'clock in the morning. Um, I went into full cardiac arrest and flatlined, and all sorts of fun stuff happened. Yeah, you and, don't. Uh, you don't really strike me as a drama queen, Alan. You know, you, you are. I think we're both part of that sort of generation of of Irish men who would go, "I look at it's grand. Stick the kettle on there. I'll get through it," kind of thing. You know, but but something major or something made the ER guys or the ambulance guys get you into the back of the ambulance and that. Now, needless to say, you probably have very little recollection of the whole sort of flatlining thing and that. But I believe that even though you were in a very new ER room, you had to be moved to another hospital because that's how serious it got. Is that right? Yes, um, they, they they needed to move me to a facility in Manhasset in Long Island, where they got uh, 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 equipment that could deal with uh, what I was going through. They didn't the uh, the regular, I mean regular cardiac unit, you know, <laughs> cardiac unit. Yeah, the regular place didn't have the right equipment for whatever I was going through. I don't have all the uh, the terms of what exactly happened, but. Yeah. Apparently, what happened was a bit, woo, you know, <laughs> yeah. And get getting back to what you said there, yeah, the same as that. You think to yourself, yeah, a cup of tea, you know, have a shower, have a bath, be fine, you know. And that was the, the initial response, yeah. you know, until it was, no, there is something going on. That's the first time I ever called 911. Well, no, that's not the truth. First time I called 911 for myself, 
you know, called a couple of times for different people, you know. For, for a neighbour or for somebody else like that, you know. Am I right in yeah. saying that, was it 20 years ago that you moved over to, New, was it New York you moved to first and you sort of stayed there, was it? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I, I came out to uh, just have a little look around. A buddy of mine was here and uh, he suggested it might be a, you know, it would be a good spot uh, to uh, have a little look around for the music. Um, so I came out on a holiday visa and I did uh, start making contacts immediately and then started looking into uh, sponsorship for uh, music visa and all that. Because at the time I did have a small um, record deal with an independent label that was based uh, here and in Ireland. Hmm. Actually, I spent some time up in uh, Denmark. Um, I was in Sweden once for one day, Helsingborg. <laughs> Oh, oh, you just went across, like, you're only just barely in Sweden when you're in Helsingborg. Barely Hesburgh. in Sweden, yeah. yeah. <laughs> was that, you were doing a gig over there, were you? Uh, no. Um, you were buying the cheap beer in the boat is what you were doing. That was, there was a bit of that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, compared uh, to me, was it possible then back in 2002 or so when you went over there? Because I did the same thing. I played in bars and pubs here in Scandinavia when I came over. Now, I was brutal, so that ended fairly fast, like, you know. But <laughs> it, it was it possible in New York to, to actually make a decent living as a musician? Or was it the same sort of hand-to-mouth thing that we would have had in the 80s and 90s knocking around in Dublin and the surrounding areas? Um, It, it was... What I found about uh, New York initially was you were given the opportunity to sort of prove yourself, you know. So yeah. it was like the first, the first actual gig that that I did. Uh, I remember it was in in Queens, in a place that no longer exists, unfortunately. It burnt down a few a number of years later. But, but uh, that first gig was about seven or eight um, different bar owners. Okay. In the place, just to, to see what you were like. And from that, was sort of a knock-on effect, you know. Mm. So the short answer is yes, it was it was quite feasible to make a decent living at that time, you know. Mm. Um, well, what sort of thing would you have been doing? Would you go in there and sort of sing, you know, Danny Boy, which I remember being asked but to, be, to, to sing. But I was in a pub in Estonia one time and a bunch of American uh, troops came in who were working there with NATO and they insisted I sing Danny Boy, which I never really enjoyed playing. Was it that kind of thing? Or were you able to do your own material as well? Because you had the record deal as well. Yeah, well, it's, uh, the, the way I've, I've consistently done it is uh, I've sort of uh, mixed in my own material with um, uh, covers that I sort of make my own, mm. you know, I just do my own versions of, uh, you know, covers. Uh, you know, and to, to answer that as well, uh, you know, the Danny Boys and what have you, there are going to be occasions where that's inevitable. You're going to have to do that at times, you know, mm. and uh, the, the no-nay-nevers, they, they, occasionally that has to come out, you know, and it does, you know. But, uh, you know, every, 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 Everything has its place and time, you know. Hmm. You do, you yeah. don't mind doing that because, like, some people really don't enjoy having to do that sort of, you know, the word paddy whackery is a bit strong. But, you know, in America, sometimes you kind of have to do that when you're in Boston or New York or in Chicago. That doesn't bother you, does it? No, because it will be only for uh, certain uh, occasions. You know, uh, like, uh, that, I said no name ever or whatever there. Hmm. Um, and that'll have to come out on St. Patrick's Day because you're going to get a bunch of, you know, kids and whatnot coming in on green T-shirts and, you know, yeah. hey, 
you know, this is the Irish song that we know. You know what? You're having fun. I'll do it. You sing it. You know? yeah, get it okay. in there, that kind of thing. Yeah. And the other thing yeah. is, Alan, it, like if you don't do it, they'll find somebody who will next year, you know, and you'll be out the door kind of thing, you know? Well, yeah, I suppose, yeah. It's uh, I don't really... I, I, I suppose I used to look at it that way. I didn't want to do these songs or that. Mm. Um, you know, but uh, I'm lucky enough that I just do them on occasion. You know, I don't... I don't I haven't built a career around Danny Boy and No Name Ever, you know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so you, you yeah. never turned into Hal Roach or one of these lads, you know that kind of. No, thing. I haven't. No, <laughs> what what be wrong with that. Not at all. No, geez, he made plenty of money in his day, you know. Um, would you have done a lot of traveling? Would you sort of try to stick to like the tri-state area, or would you sort of spread your wings and head off to Florida or California if somebody offered you a gig? Yeah, yeah. I- I, I, I would have played probably about 25 out of the 50 states here, you know, mm. and in uh, across Europe, I've, I've played a lot of different, you know, Germany, Denmark, Italy, po- uh, Portugal, Spain, you know, France, mm. uh, England. It's just, you know, yeah, mm. yeah, it, it brings you around. Um, but, um, I've been raising a family in New York, so I have been pretty much uh, uh, working with uh, residencies uh, a good bit, you know. And I still, I still head off to different places. The pandemic, of course, slowed things down, but I still got off to, uh, you know, I still get get over to Indiana, you know, hope to get down to Missouri, you know. Yeah, there's always stuff going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And would you just sort of jump on the subway there now of an evening with your guitar in your back? Would they have the PA and everything in the venues that you'd be going to? Certain places do. Um, other places you, you got to bring your own equipment with you, you know. Hmm. So I have, a, you know, I have a couple of different PAs depending on the size of the venue, hmm. you know. Is it a relatively well-paid thing or is it a sort of an afterthought? Are you sitting there sort of hoping to get a few tips in the jar as Billy Joel once famously sang about? Uh, um, again, it varies. You know, that there are certain certain times you could be getting $100, $150 and hoping for some tips, you know. And then there's other times you could be paying for, you know, $1,500, $2,000. It, it just depends, you know. Those gigs come along every just once in a while, but uh, you know, for for the most part, you set yourself up with um, a, a circuit that's you know financially feasible. It has to be financially feasible because otherwise, how are you going to support yourself? You know, so it, ha- it has to be that. Yeah. If your name is on an old blackboard now and I'm walking through Manhattan and I see it, if I go in the door, what am I going to see? Is it just one fellow with a guitar or is it a load of MP3s and drum machines and all that kind of stuff? <laughs> well, if it's if it's a solo, it's just one man on the guitar. Yeah, I don't, I don't use loops or backing tracks or anything like that. Uh, I, occasionally, I have a stomp for a rhythm, but that's very occasional. Uh, so it's just... Um, yeah, it's just an acoustic guitar plugged in and vocals. Off you go. And I do a lot of um, two-piece and three-piece and full band stuff as well, you know. Mm. But, uh, yeah. So, so that, yeah, but to answer your question, as a solo, that's what you're going to uh, walk into. 
Yes. Yeah. It can get fairly lonely knocking around the place on your own. I found that now even here in Sweden, just, you know, even sitting on a train for four or five hours and you're on your own all day and you, then you sound check and have a bit of fish and chips and then you play the gig and you Jesus, okay, there's all these people in front of you, but none of them want to hang out with you when the show is over, you know? So it was a bit sort of tough, I found. So do you prefer doing the band work when you have a maybe a drummer and a bass player with you or, or would you prefer to be on your own and you're independent? It's apples and oranges, you know, it's it's not really a preference thing, you know, an up enjoyment out of both things. Uh, you know, as this, the grass is always greener, <laughs> you know, you know the, the night sometimes you're there by yourself, you go, God, I wish the band was here, you know, yeah. uh, and vice versa. Somebody's, somebody's messing up with their leads, like, Jesus, I can do this better on you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, you know, when that part of the night comes where you have to hand them their share of the money, that's never enjoyable, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, get, getting back to the whole sort of medical thing, you obviously, when did you realize what it was that had happened to you? Because as you say, you blacked out, you flatlined it, and then you're you're just in the hands of the medics and the man upstairs after that, you know? Do you remember when you when you woke up after all of that and how you found out what had happened? Yeah, I did. The, the, the uh, initial memories of waking up um, are pretty sketchy. So I'm not entirely sure if I, if I uh, recall Sunday or if it was Monday. Or when it was, but uh, it was starting to come too. But um, I was still, I, I was not obviously aware that I had been moved to uh, Manhasset. So I thought it was still local. I thought it was a couple of miles away from home. Mm. So that was a surprise, first of all. And uh, also the fact that I had tubes and all sorts of stuff, you know. Mm. Uh, I was, yeah, I was plugged in. Did that scare you, Alan? When you wake up and go, holy jeez, I'm connected to everything in the room here. Was that a very frightening experience? I, I don't know if it was or not. Because um, you're, I think you're under a lot of sedation. Hmm. You know, so uh, I found a lot of humour in the, in the situation, strangely you? enough. Yeah. That, that, so looking back, I find that a little bit strange. But I found, <laughs> found a lot of humour. When, when I started to become conscious um, a buddy of mine, he he explained to me. He says, "You know, you were uh, you were out for a while." You know, I said, "What do you mean? I was out for a while?" He said, "You know, you were dead." I was like, "Oh yeah, how long?" He said, "Well, I'm not sure." Somebody said twenty minutes, and I'm like, "Whoa!" I said, "Long? Can you hold your breath for?" <laughs> 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 you know, <laughs> so so uh, I found it humorous. But looking back, I suppose that was shocking. The brain sort of trying to figure out a way to deal with your situation you know yeah i suppose you have to try to find a way to you know if you're going around thinking that i was dead for 20 minutes you know you go mad thinking about things like that you have to find some way of dealing with it don't you yeah yeah i don't think it was 20 minutes though it couldn't have been uh, nobody could hold their breath for that long How long does it take then? Because um, from what I heard anyway, that, you know, your arteries were sort of fairly blocked up and they had to do a good bit of work to sort of clear them out to get the blood flowing again. And that you were quite lucky that they got there in time to be able to do this. You know, how long did they leave you in the hospital then before you were fit enough to, to start thinking about going home? Um, well, let's see. I went on Friday, so Saturday and Sunday. I think it was Thursday. I was there. all in. It was six days, you know between getting admitted to ER and uh, getting out. So after the uh, first operation would have been um, Saturday night and I got out on Thursday. Then I think Monday or Tuesday, I put in the second stint. Um, but uh, that's a that's a 
strange procedure. You don't have to be opened up uh, anymore. Well, luckily enough, I didn't have to be opened up mm. because they were fit to uh, follow the arteries up um, through the groin mm -hmm. and through through the arm. Uh, I think the first the first procedure, I think they went through uh, an artery in my arm. I think I'm, I'm not too sure. But uh, the the uh, I was out for that one. But the uh, second procedure to put in the second stint, uh, they went up through an artery in the groin, yeah. And uh, that was, all that was was a little pinch, you know. It's it's amazing the advances in, in yeah. medical science, you know. <laughs> so there's a little pinch at your groin. Okay, granted, everything swelled up later down there, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a little bit of. Quite a bit of discoloration and all the rest. But yeah. the point is, you know, they went in, it was a little pinch, and this guy actually fixing your heart. But you know what? It's a whole lot better than sawing your rib cage in half and, and you know, cutting you from, from your navel to the top of your head kind of thing, which is, I believe, what they used to do in the past, you know? That's, yeah, and not that long ago, from what I believe. Yeah. Well, did you feel sort of bet up then when you were going home after the whole experience? Or did you feel sort of, I'm actually okay. If they bring me back to, to my apartment, to my house here, I'll actually get by here? I. I couldn't wait to get out of the hospital. That's Good the that. first thing. I couldn't wait to get out of the place. Um, you know, you, 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 have you spent? If you've ever spent any time in hospital, this you don't really get sleeping. That's the first thing because every time you actually start to doze off, there's somebody coming in to take blood or prod you with something or give you mm. drugs or whatever. You know. Um, so uh, when I was discharged, uh. No, I felt very bad up. It was very hard to walk or, you know, that the whole chest was all, it was, you know, just sitting down was a problem. Lying down was an absolute disaster. Sleeping was, sleeping has only started the last couple of weeks. Hmm. You know, it was, there was a few moments here and there where you just sort of pass out. This was what, what was happening with the, the sleep, you know, but it's a lot better now. Um, I think I think some of the ribs were broken uh, due to compressions and all that, you mm. know. Uh, but you know, it's not so, it's not so sore anymore. I can still feel a bit of pressure there, but it's okay. You know, mm. we we'll get on with it. Mm. Um, so for a couple of weeks, it was it was rough. You know, even couldn't lift a chair, for example. I'd have to slowly drag a chair to the position that I wanted it in. You know, yeah. the, the sort of thing. So that, that's um. That's kind of frightening. That's the scariest part. Because mm. going, well, if you don't recover from this, this is you now. Mm. Or you've no, you've no strength to do anything. Mm. And you've no ability to sleep. And as for, you know, singing or playing the guitar or anything like that, forget about it. You know, mm. that's only started last week. I started singing a couple of songs again. That's only a couple. I managed a half hour yesterday. Mm. You know, so that's like you're a singer, you're a player. You know, imagine not being able to do that. This is it. I mean, it does. Right? People tend to forget how physical yeah. be, being singing and uh, just singing and playing at the same time could be. You know, you'd be worn out after it, you know. It's it's very physical. It, it really is. Um, somebody was asking me, well, I think somebody was probably teasing me at the time. And I said, well, to be honest with you, you know, when I lived in, in Dublin for a while. I was uh, working on the building sites. And then uh, uh, then I was uh, I stopped that and I was back into full time playing you know and somebody was messing I said well to be honest with you you know the, there's a tiredness after a day working on the building site and there's the same 
but slightly different tiredness after a gig. You know, and if you do two or three, two of them in the same day or whatever, you're wrecked, you know. And that's <laughs> doing, you know, you're wrecked. A heap. <laughs> this is it. It's one of my best yeah. friends still to this yeah. day. He he plays maybe two gigs a day in the Temple Bar area and all those pubs, like you know. Yeah. And again, like it is, it's a solid day's work when you're done doing that, you know. And it's a solid day's work. Well, who's what's his name? His Michael name is David me. Hughes, known as Sparky Hughes around the world. And I'm sure I think you actually know Dave Brown as well and Dave Rooney over I in do. Las Vegas. You know. Yeah, I, 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 I don't. I don't I, I, I I know them through people. Yeah, That's it. You'd know of yeah, them. But the, the yeah. same as yourself. They'd play easily yeah. two gigs a day. Those lads are playing six nights a week now in the Re-Raw pub in the Mandalay Bay Hotel. And it is. It's a workout every time you go in there, you know. Um, yeah. How are you going to sort of build yourself up again now? Because obviously, you know, you, you can't be sort of staying at home forever. You want to get back out there. You want to get back to work, to the residencies that you had and entertain the people who enjoyed your music. How far away is that, would you say, Alan? Um, I will have to do some stuff in March. Um, that's, Patrick's that's Day is looming there, kind of thing. That's, that's inevitable. There's stuff that I've signed up to do that I have to do. Mm. Um, in March in uh, the New York and Tri-State area, there's a serious scarcity of musicians. Mm. Not that there's a scarcity. The the uh, demand outweighs the supply. Yeah. The rest of the year, of course, it's the other way around, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, but there's certain things that I've signed on to that have to be done, you know, for different organizations and, you know, parties and whatnot. So that has to be done. Yeah. So um, uh, those commitments, uh, well, I've got to take care of those. And then we'll, we'll see what else we can take on after that. Hmm. You know, um, but yeah, well, we're still looking. There's still a little bit of a road ahead. It'll be probably... Probably may realistically speaking be falling back into full uh the full swing of things. Yeah. You know, which <laughs> that's uh not great financially speaking or any all the way. Yeah, this is this is the thing, right? Because I live in lovely yeah. Sweden, this paradise of social democracy where there's an insurance for everything and you pay loads of tax, but you get loads of stuff back for it. That's not yeah. exactly the case for your good self at the moment, is it? Not quite, no. <laughs> 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 There's nobody queuing up to pushing dollar bills through your letterbox no. kind of thing, you know? <laughs> Not for really. Yeah, but they, they, you see, I, I am lucky enough to be part of a, you know, a, a broader a Irish-American community and, of course, I'm very much part of the music community here in, mm. in uh, New York. And these guys are all getting together and putting on a... A fundraiser, so the, there was actually money trickling in, uh, but they, you don't really want to be a charity case either. But it does give you a sort of a it's a nice, it's a nice thing to do, and you know, this happens every once in a while. For well, it happens a lot. There's always a benefit going on for something or other. But, uh, I, I'll tell you something for nothing. You probably played one or two of those for some poor creators after being in a similar situation to yourself. So it's probably not the first time you've been involved in that kind of thing, is it? <laughs> I've played a lot of benefits, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, yeah, there's benefits all the time. Yeah. If, if, yeah. No, so I was going to ask you, Alan. Do you is it is it a pride thing? Do you kind of feel like ah, Jesus, lads? You know, I'd be you know a little bit embarrassed, maybe. You know, and at the same time, you've done all these things for other people, so you've nothing to be yeah. embarrassed about. You know. Um. Initially, it was said to me in the hospital, and uh, my first reaction, oh, I was like, oh, no, lads, come on, don't be doing that, you know, you, you know, initially, and uh, one of the one of the guys turned around to me, uh, 
a musician himself, he said, well, in actual fact, it's absolutely nothing to do with you, and we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> Keep your trap shut and lie there in that bed and get better. <laughs> we'll go ahead and do what we're going to do. We're going to do it anyway. We don't need your blessing for this. <laughs> we're just taking your name and we're running with this and that's it. Where's the gig going to be held? I think it's, is it the first week in February it's, it's taking place? It's uh, the 11th of February, so it's the second Saturday of the month. Uh, yeah, and it's in uh, Manhattan. It's a place called uh, Joyce. Uh, so it's over in uh, the Joyce, I guess, is considered Times Square. So it's sort of between Times Square and Hell's Kitchen. So it's, uh, there's a bit of grey area there. Uh, I don't know exactly where Hell. No. Yeah, I'm not sure where Hell's Kitchen begins and Times Square ends. That's I've always had that problem myself, but it's in the yeah. Joyce pub there and there'll be people yeah. from the Irish and the music community getting together and they'll pay a few bob at the door and I'm sure there'll be a raffle and what have you and that kind of thing. Are All you, that. Are, are you yeah. planning on making an appearance yourself or are you going to be hiding out in Queens? Um, I that, that that I haven't decided on that as of yet because if, if the uh, function was to happen in a... a like, another day or two i wouldn't really physically be able to do it you know yeah. so um it remains to be seen but if if i'm able to go in and sing a couple of songs i would love to you know yeah. so um i'm going to i'm going to decide that a little bit uh closer to the date you know uh but it would be uh literally uh, head in the door and you know a quick hello and a thank you and a song or two and out the door I can't I can't be hanging around all day yeah. you know there'd be, yeah. there'd be no big feed of points and a, a good old session or that kind of thing no although uh, that would be lovely but unfortunately no that's not on the that's not on the cards for another while not for another is there <laughs> any sort of have you had a chat with you know I don't know physiotherapists may not be any use to you but is there sort of people in the background there going okay you need to do this exercise you need to eat this for your breakfast you need to drink this much water every day or do they just sort of leave you to your own devices once you're booted out of the hospital um you, you gotta do a good little you gotta do a good bit of the follow-up yourself you know um th there is a learning curve here so I had to find a good cardiologist uh, got that you know and I've got a, a good regular doctor that's another thing I would say um, it's important to have a regular doctor and to go and have checkups you know there was no indication that uh, there was any problem physically with myself but mm. maybe if I had to go to a doctor and get a checkup once a year or something mm. I might have seen something or maybe not I don't know but uh, it might be a good idea to do that um, the um as far as the cardio physio uh, goes at the moment, it's too early, um, it's too yeah. early for me to get that because it's going to be another five weeks before they can determine how much uh, permanent damage you actually did to the heart. You yeah. know, so um, is, that, is that a case now, Alan? That there is definitely permanent damage. It's just the extent of it that they have to work out, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, there's permanent damage. Yeah, it's just how much. <laughs> Uh, hopefully not allowed. You know. Hopefully there won't be too much. Well, it seems that yeah. they got it reasonably early anyway, you know. Come here yeah. to me. This is, again, it's not a whole lot like Sweden or indeed Ireland where, you know, the ambulance comes, that kind of thing. You were saying earlier on that the ambulances, uh, they tend to respond very, very quickly. And at the expense of them, it wouldn't surprise me. This uh, would have been a reasonably expensive illness for your good self, would it? It would. Now, um, I, the timing actually couldn't have been better for me because they do... Uh, in actual fact, have a certain amount of insurance which I never had before. You know, did so, you not know? 
no, I never had insurance before. Um, yeah, yeah, you, that's something you need to have. Also, I found out you know, that could that could have <laughs> could have found that out a real hard way. Yeah, because uh, the, the bills that are coming in, I was checking they're up and around half a million dollars at the moment. You know, half a million dollars for a heart half attack. Half a million dollars. You know, um, I don't know who's getting half a million dollars. But I'm pretty sure it isn't the doctors. <laughs> yeah. It's all sorts of hospitals. And is that all itemized? Is it? Do they tell you, okay, it was this much for the ambulance, this much for this crack and that? It is. The the uh, the, the, the the medical bills are uh, extremely confusing. Extremely. Mm. You know, they're sent out. you got to take the, language, uh, the English uh, language and uh, sort of uh, get a poetic license with it when you're writing out these bills, you know. <laughs> mean anything <laughs> you'd probably have another heart attack reading them as soon as you look at the numbers would you yeah and then you go what does this mean does this mean i'm paying it or does this mean somebody else is paying it or what is it <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah but does this thing now i know very little about the american health insurance system thankfully i usually have travel insurance when i'm over your way like but they talk about deductibles and that because it's never the case that they'll pay all of your bill right you have to pay part of that yourself is that going to is that going to cause problems for you so to speak in terms of is that you know do you have to get back to work just simply because these bills have to be paid uh yeah i gotta pay these bills and that's that you know um uh, uh, luckily enough now again uh, friends have got together and they've, they've raised some money so I'll, I'll take most of that and I'll just use that uh, mm. so that'll keep me pretty good you know um, yeah yeah it doesn't matter it, 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 you know it's a it's it's a strange system um, I, I, I have a lot I have a lot of problems with it myself you know I I'd I feel that um I feel that it's, it's it's immoral to be profiteering off mm. illnesses and sick people. That's my personal opinion. You know, it it, it shouldn't be, but it is. And mm. you know, if you if you say this here, there's always somebody right beside you ready to jump down your throat and say, "No, it's the right way." You know, if I get sick, I'm fit to do it. And you're like, "All right, yeah," but you know, also there's a lot of um, the run around. You get a lot of the run around. Mm. You know, um. That's very irritating. Now I'm young-ish and strong, you know. But you know, if if you know if I'm not and I'm getting that same run around, you yeah. know, uh, you know how, how are people supposed to deal with that? It's very annoying. Yeah. It, it, there's room for improvement, is what I'm saying. Yeah. I think that's probably one of those things, though, Alan, that a lot of Irish people abroad, especially in countries mm. where they don't speak English, that, you know, when I was moving over here, a friend of mine was a swimmer and his coach was Swedish. And he said they have a system in Sweden. And once you go with it, it's grand. If you try to go against it, they'll kill you like a dog in the street, you know. Yes. And, and yes. we don't understand it. And that's mm. why you end up getting the runaround, because you ask the wrong person, the wrong question, you know, and you're just, you're not going to get anywhere, you know? So in terms of, of healthcare or your recovery or that kind of thing, like, you know, if you're asking the wrong person, they'll go, yeah, that's not my job. And they'll probably send you a bill for the privilege as well, kind of thing, you know? Yeah, there's a little bit of that. Now, um, in saying that, the, the people that I have I've met, you know, the, the caregivers, they have been wonderful, you know, mm. for, for, they really have. They are working within this system also and it's irritating for them you know i have i've had a physician mm. um say you know agreeing 
totally with me. It's like going, why or where is all this money going? Is it? I'm not getting it. Yeah. You know, so you know, <laughs> you know. So yeah, it's a it's a thing. <laughs> There's a, a lot of people making yeah. a few a few bob off the top. You were saying there at the very beginning of our conversation, my friend, that your wife wasn't in the best of humor with you that morning when you got up. Has that improved since then? Has it now that you've been a bit it, of a drama it, queen? Ah, uh, absolutely. You know, the best thing for personal relations, you have a heart attack, you're good. Nice as pie, you know. Oh, really pulls the relationship back together. <laughs> a little bit of flatlining. <laughs> <laughs> so she's been waiting on you hand and foot ever since, all over the Christmas, the whole lot there. Yeah, I found, um, now I was, I was in the bedroom, and it was a little bit hard the first day or two to get out of the bed, you know. Yeah. But, uh, so I had I had the TV going, but uh, I brought up YouTube, and I found um, a bell sound, you know, ding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the, yeah. The ding lasted for a couple of times for two days, and then I was told quite abruptly, "That's enough of the ding." <laughs> I was surprised to survive that. The heart attack is one thing; I wouldn't survive that round here. I can tell you, you know. And you you have two sons as well, don't you? Is it two boys yeah. you have? Yeah, yeah. Yes. How was the experience for them, Alan? Because you know it can't be great seeing your dad being taken away in an ambulance like that. You know, did they recover okay themselves? Yeah, well, luckily enough, it, it, it was a school day, so they were both at school at the time. Mm. Um, but, um, yeah, they were very worried, you know, because, um, you know, the, the call is coming from the hospital. Okay, listen, let yourself in or whatever. Mm. You know, the, the mother is on the phone. Yeah. You know, uh, we're in the hospital. You know, daddy's not looking great, but he'll be all right, hopefully. And then the next day, you know, that he's actually dead for a little while, you know. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were very worried, uh, of yeah. course. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's just on the run up to Christmas as well, you know. So it looked like, uh, you know, they thought yeah. perhaps they were going to be without the da for Christmas. You know, yeah. it wouldn't be a, wouldn't be great. It wouldn't be a great Christmas present. <laughs> Certainly would not. How how was Christmas then? When you were you got home and all in time for Christmas, you know, you were home in good time for that. Were you, were you able to celebrate it at all, or were you sort of a little bit flat out still? I was still, I was a little bit flat out. I was, you know, I got released. What was it, the sixteenth? Uh, I got discharged from the uh, hospital. Yeah. So uh, the, uh, you know, the, I had a couple of little bits and pieces to do between then and Christmas Day. Um, so I, I managed to get out to to the mall and either to pick up something for mm. for uh, herself, you know. So I managed that. I was very proud of myself for getting that done you know yeah. and then um christmas day um i insisted on cooking the dinner so that, jesus that must have been something else was it yeah oh well, you know I, I normally do the thanksgiving and christmas dinner so i didn't i, I just wanted to, to uh do that you know so I, I got through that but if i also the fact that i wasn't able to sit for very long or lie down uh i was going to be on my feet anyway so i said well i might as well be doing something constructive yeah in, in the let's, kitchen let's feed, let's feed the people <laughs> <laughs> exactly did you have a big gang over or was it just the family you had there i know just just the family yeah i didn't i didn't really want to see anybody in fact i'm, I'm still avoiding phone calls I, I, i'm being anti-social at this hmm. this point you know but there was a time that i couldn't deal with a phone call or a meeting or anything you know yeah. couldn't deal with it you know 
And was um, it just tiredness or was it the, the fact that the head wasn't there kind of thing? Uh, yeah, both. Yeah, tiredness and, um, uh, you know, that there is, there is a psychological uh, effect to this. You know, uh, of course, uh, you know, being Irish, you sort of shrug that off. You're like, ah, you, know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, get on with it. But there is, there definitely is a psychological uh, backlash to the thing as well. Yeah. You know, it, it's, um, it's a reminder of your own mortality. Yeah. Like, all right. Um, you, you got a certain amount of hours, mm-hmm. you know, to, li- to live your life. And uh, and uh, you don't know when that runs out, you know. That's so, it. Yeah. So you're, so you're looking at it, it's like, all right, well, um, this, this, uh, this is an unrenewable source. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But you can kind of go two ways there, Alan. You can either be the guy who goes, right, I'm never going to waste another second of my life. I'm going to go mad. I'm going to learn to snowboard. I'm going to take up the flute. I'm going to make that album with Pink Floyd that I always wanted to make. Or you can just live your life basically in fear the rest of the time. But, you know, which way do you feel that you're leaning at the moment? Are you happy enough to go out and live your life again? Or is that little bit of fear still remaining there? Ah, no, there's no fear. No, no, that's that's done. Like, I, I'm, I'm current. Well, what I did do, which is an interesting one, uh, I, I got. Do you ever hear of the real book? So it's um, it's a, it did actually, yeah. I can't yes. remember where I heard of it now. Yeah, so it's it's um, it's uh, it's notation of a lot of uh, jazz standards, you know. Mm. So and um, so I went. And I bought the real book, you know. So I'm learning um. I'm, I'm I'm learning the keyboard, uh, reading this book. So I want to speed up my sight reading, and I want to learn the keyboard at the same time. You know, so I figure yeah. oh, well, I might as well do it through jazz. Why jazz? I don't know. You know, the, the jazz book. Yeah. You know, I don't. I'm not a jazz fan. You know, it's yeah. It's it, but it's you know technical. So I was like, all right, this will be good. You know, so yeah. that's what's going on at the moment. I'm trying to uh. Learn jazz on the keyboard. (laughs) Well, I suppose, I mean, it's a lot different to what you do because in the situation you'll be playing your music, there's an awful lot of bashing out and, you know, tour IA and that kind of thing going on. And the jazz thing, as you say, it demands something completely different of you. It's a a different side to music, really. Yeah, it's... it's, Look, again, I've only started and immediately uh, it's a challenge. So, Mm. yeah. So it gets the brain working. So And and then I started writing. Again, so that's that that was my next question. Was there, has there has there been a song written in the back of the ambulance yet, or <laughs> there has? Yeah, there's there's nothing that uh, there's nothing that's going to be public or forthcoming for now because uh, I find I find with writing you go through these spurts. Okay, mm-hmm. you, you start, but you gotta you gotta do it. You gotta wade through an awful lot of nonsense to stumble upon something coherent. That's what I have found historically, and that's what I'm finding yet again. It's like, oh wow, what is this drivel? I'm just after writing, <laughs> <laughs> and you just have to get through it because you the quality is get through. Just, just get it out of the way, you know. Just keep doing it, and then eventually, you're not even thinking about something, and then boom, you're like, oh, there you go. There's the song. <laughs> mm. And do you plan on sitting down and maybe recording them? Do you plan on even doing a few jazz tunes, maybe, or taking what you're learning there, or will it still be? In the in the 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 style you're doing at the moment, no, I I I I won't be following up. Um, I won't I won't be following up with the 
making a jazz album, right? You, you won't like be Mead's answer so, to Miles Davis anytime soon, no? No, no. <laughs> no certainly, certainly won't be, you know. Uh, it's, <laughs> but yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully I will get get into uh, the studio pretty soon. Well, when I say pretty soon, as in this year at some point, you know. Because mm. I do have access to uh, a lot of musicians here, you know. So I'd like to just, you know, present the songs again to people and say, all right, well, let's just do it, you know. Fantastic. That's a, It's a fantastic mm. attitude to have, especially after what happened to you. The gig is on the 11th of February in the Joyce, somewhere between Times Square and Hell's Kitchen. I'll let people work out where that is. Go, yeah. you, I really hope that you're fit enough to get up there and sing one or two songs. And that you're, if not, maybe a little bit late in the year, I'll get over to New York and I might be able to pop in and see you play. But for now, Alan Gogarty, thanks so much for talking to me. Thanks, Philip. <laughs> it's a great day for the Irish, with New York's finest leading the St. Patrick's Parade. The old 69th, the fighting Irish of World War fame, are in the vanguard as the marchers swing along Fifth Avenue. For the 202nd year, Irishmen in America pay tribute to their patron saint. The fire department's delegation passes crowds gay with green flags and flowers. At St. Patrick's Cathedral, Bishop Donahue gives his blessing to the units led by Monsignor Laval, the Grand Marshal. Here comes the band. Well, anyhow, here's the drum major towing the mark for cheering crowds of old admirers. Almost a million spectators jam the curbs along the three-mile line of march as organizations of Hibernians and others pass. And when they're too old, why, the young Irish Americans will replace them in a pageant that has become an institution. There you go, from all the way back in 1939, uh, a Pathé newsreel recording there of the St. Patrick's Day Parade in New York. And I really, really hope that Alan Gogarty is back and able to put himself up on stage, if not for the Benefit concert, which is happening uh, at the, in the second week of February there, but that he's definitely back for St. Patrick's Day because it is a tough old gig now uh, when you're living in, in America and no money coming in. As we mentioned during the, the conversation there, there's not a whole lot in the way of social welfare or hanging around or that kind of thing. If you do want to go to that gig and I would hope that everybody in the Irish community in New York can turn out and uh, and help a great ambassador and a great uh, a great lover of Irish music and spreader of Irish music in America there. Uh, the Joyce Public House, you will find it on 315 West 39th Street, New York, New York, right? 315 West 39th Street. It's right around the corner from the Port Authority bus terminal, which is a very, very central location in Manhattan. So if you're, even if you're new in town, you're going to be able to find that, right? So Joyce's is the place where it's happening. And if you can't make it there, right, look in the show notes of this podcast because there's been a GoFundMe started up, right? The URL is GoFundMe forward slash F forward slash Alan dash Gogarty dash Benefit. Alan is A-L-L-E-N dash Gogarty, G-O-G-A-R-T-Y dash Benefit, B-E-N-E-F-I-T. Right, it'll be in the show notes. So when you're listening to the podcast, if you fancy throwing in a few quid, and I see people throwing in all sorts of sums here, uh, somebody's throwing in fifty dollars there, and a hundred dollars there, and two hundred dollars there. Uh, if you have the chance there, uh, throw in a few bobs there for Alan, and just to help him out to get back up on his feet again. Because if you look in the comments as well, you'll know that this is one of the hardest working guys out there. This is a guy who never asked anybody for anything, and as he mentioned there, he's turned up on so many benefits for so many other people over his two decades plus in New York that. 
that, you know, it's it's time for a little bit of payback, right? Uh, this episode, we're going to play out with one of Alan's songs, and it could not be a more fitting title. The song is called We All Need Someone. So we're going to play out with that, and I look forward to speaking to you again next week. Look after you as ourselves. Look after one another. You should look after Alan Gogarty if you can. Go to patreon.com forward slash arrowmanlands.com if you want to look after me. But in the meantime, we'll all get on with looking after one another, right? So here it is. We All Need Someone by Alan Gogarty. I'll talk to you all in a week or so. Good luck. shot Y'all need someone, need someone to talk to Someone to hold when the morning comes Why enter the night to the wail of a siren Dirty walk, dirt all around. I hear the laughter, I see a couple have fallen. It's a good old walk. Young one runs from me a cigarette and says it's fine, fine, I'll love this time. And I listen. To me she is preaching And she stole my heart As she said We all need someone We need someone to talk to Someone to hold when the morning comes We all need someone We need someone to talk to 
Talk to you.